Today, we are talking to the Director of Licensing about the role of licensing in the child welfare process. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Kat, and I'm here with Jack, and today we have a special guest, Red, who is a licensing director. So, Red, let me ask you a very serious question. What is your favorite drink at Starbucks? Well, I'm so glad you asked that, Jack. (laughs) Sitting here with a venti caramel macchiato in front of me. The only thing missing is the extra shot of espresso. Oh. Which maybe you needed, and it smells so good. It's uh, Jack Daddy's favorite. I'm going to try one. It smells so good. I don't usually drink any coffee at all. Red, can you tell me what your current position is and what that entails? Sure. So for the past three years, I have um, been a part of an agency that oversees the licensed foster homes. So this is a really big job and you affect a lot of people in the area, adults and children. Yes, thank you. And sometimes you don't think of it like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it just feels like trying to get people through some of the worst times, um, Mm -hmm. whether it be a situation with getting a kid to the doctor or not having the right paperwork. So um, I appreciate hearing that because sometimes it just feels like you're in a whirlwind of chaos Mm -hmm. all day long. I'm sure it does. So I understand that you oversee licensing, which Mm -hmm. includes initial licensing of a home. Right. Licensing and placement. Is that everything? Main arena is the licensing department. We work so closely with the placement department because for us in licensing, one of our major jobs is to know our families Mm -hmm. and know their strengths, know what the needs they have may be when it comes to children. So um, part of that is being able to work with other departments placement directly to make sure that we're doing the best that we can for both the children and our families who take in those kiddos. Okay. Can you explain the difference in the functions of those departments? So we have an initializing department, which means that any home that potentially wants to become a foster parent will start in that arena. They'll start with the initial licensing specialist as they move through the process of getting licensed, going through classes, having home visits, all the different inspections and certificates of um, completion Mm -hmm. you have to hand in. Once you obtain your foster care license, you then rotate over to a relicensing specialist. So then that's kind of like your case manager. If you look at the big picture Uh within child welfare, we know our children have case managers attached to them. So that licensing specialist is like your case manager. So they're there to get you whatever you need to help guide, um, hook you up to the right people if there's something that we can't assist with. But it's so much more because we oftentimes are those emotional containers for our foster parents because, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I and I have to say our foster parents are really our heroes because they walk into this not knowing um, much about, you know, maybe the history of a child and you're dealing with the fallouts, the tantrums, the triggers Mm -hmm. that you don't even know about. So for us in licensing too, it's a really great opportunity to be able to be that sounding board or just a place to vent and um, maybe just 
validate that someone is not crazy. I think some of us probably all consider ourselves crazy a little one bit way crazy. or another uh, in this field. It's just, it's so important for all the way from upper leadership to, you know, the specialists that are boots on the ground running to, mm-hmm. to be able to make those connections and offer support. In your real life experience with your licensing specialist, they're like, they're like your person. As a foster mom, all of these people that are, all these partners that are involved, including yourself, are there for the kids and there for the biological parents. Nobody um, out there is really going to be advocating for the foster mom except for licensing. I have been so beyond blessed to have like the two best licensing people ever. I feel like with both of them that I could go to them and just like vent and say, I'm so fresh and not have them judge me and be like, think that I'm like a bad person or a bad mom or Mm -hmm. like, you know, that, you know, that I don't have a good attitude or whatever, that they understand like what we're going through. You know, anytime I've had a situation where I needed a case manager to do something or I needed um, something from whatever partner for these kids and they can't do it, my licensing person's always like, you can't get it done, I'll get it done for you. That's like, so nice. it's, it, I mean, it's really an advocate for a foster parent more than like making sure you're following the rules. Like, yeah, they come to my house, they make sure that I didn't leave so bad, you know, <laughs> they made sure that, Isn't like, that the, the, truth? the dog food's put away. But, you know, and we were talking in another episode about, you know, how licensing, like, it's not about the rules, it's about keeping kids safe. And even if there's a rule and you think it's stupid, there's probably something stupid that somebody did that made that rule happen. Uh-huh. And when we get those emails from our oh, licensing yes. and you're like, oh, yes. what? Yeah. Like, who did this? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I really don't see them as like, they're here to make sure, like, I don't step out of line. Like, they're here to help me. They're here to, like, support my family, to support my kids. You know, my first licensing specialist uh, met me at the hospital at, like, almost midnight one night because my kid wouldn't stop throwing up and sat there with me and brought me Starbucks. Like, you know, this is not... I mean, I did that too, just... I mean, you definitely (laughs) did. (laughs) But... You know, but you're my friend, not my licensing no, specialist. No, totally. So, that's so, like a valuable like that's person amazing, to have. especially in child welfare when everybody's so overworked. That that this woman would like take time out of her personal life to come and sit at the hospital. She didn't have to do that. She didn't have to do that. And I feel like most of the complaints I get from people that I work with in child welfare, it's because they have no resources or because they have no power, and they it's someone who's giving you power. Mm-hmm. Like you can't do something, let me help you. Yeah. And, and that's that's it. And, and it's really hard to be in licensing because we are there to ensure compliance with our mm-hmm. foster homes and Department of Children and Families. But in the same token, we are there to um, just be a support and a guide. We don't ultimately control which way a case is going to go. And, mm-hmm. you know, as much as we can advocate and pull together meetings, sometimes it doesn't go the way that maybe we would all want it to go and, yeah. and so it's 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 a fine line because sometimes we wish we could do so much more but just to be there and walk alongside somebody during um one of these difficult times is is just yeah. you know more than gratifying for us yeah yeah i mean i'm uh you know a big fan of licensing i mean so. that really like that's the definition of a good relationship is just holding space for each other and that's sounds like it's a lot of what licensing is doing Absolutely. And I like that word you used, holding space, because that is it. That is 100% exactly what we do um, for, you know, not only our families, but stepping in for other, you know, specialist families. I mean, there's a lot of on-call duties that go into licensing. And so, you know, we may have a staff that goes out to a home that they're not assigned to because they're there to support. And and that's really, um, you know, the big thing, whether it's 10 o'clock at night, 4 o'clock in the morning, um, you will always find somebody with licensing. Um, to That's be there amazing. as a support. And and the other thing I would say is in child welfare, it's hard to get callbacks, you know, from pretty much mm-hmm. every other partner except yeah. for licensing. If if I text or call my licensing specialist, I really do not wait long, if at all. So um, That's amazing. You know, it's, it's definitely huge on the support side. So um, these different departments that um, you oversee, how do they collaborate and share information? So... Um, We have a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings, a lot of coming together. I mean, um, the biggest thing within this field, and I think sometimes it's really hard for people to see the bigger picture, but how each of us affect 
one another. Mm -hmm. Um, So for example, placement, if they don't have all of the information about a child and they call a foster family, foster family accepts and they weren't given all the information. So now we kind of have a domino effect. And even Mm -hmm. for licensing, us coming out, we like to be out there whenever our families get children or if it's a new child, a brand new family, we want to be out there to support them. And Mm -hmm. kind of our hands are tied as those pieces within the system break down. So the the biggest aspect I think in collaboration is really that communication and the mm-hmm. constant communication. Maybe it's not just one meeting a day. There are times where I have spoken to placement probably six or seven times. Sometimes I wonder if they're like, you know, um, <laughs> if they're probably sick of hearing from me at that point, but um, we all have each other's numbers on speed dial and that's really, it's, it's up to us to, to model what partnership should look like. You know, with these departments, how do you keep the cohesion between them? We do the best that we can. I think when we're on the phone, when we can sense one of us is struggling, it doesn't matter whether it's from your own team or from mm-hmm. another team, but there's someone there to step in and, and try and point out some of the good things that are happening. And maybe we didn't get that sibling group of six placed together, but you know uh-huh. what? We got three of them together in one home and we got three in another home together. So, you know, we have limited resources if we had. Um, a home for every child. I mean, ideally, that would be the best solution we could ever have is more people stepping mm-hmm. up because it is kids within our own community. Um, and I know not everybody can be a foster parent or wants to do that, but there's something that everybody can do to support our families mm-hmm. and to support our community because mm-hmm. we're all here to really work to strengthen families and family yeah. units and family systems, whether that means a reunification or even, you know, trying to fit a new child into one of our foster families' homes. Um, it can be hard. I mean, and especially for a child trying to fit into a home that they have no idea if you could imagine showing up to a brand new home when you've lived the last six years under a certain set of rules and mm-hmm. now I have to take my shoes off when I come in the door. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. And so the, this little bit that we can do to talk to one another and to um, to really facilitate communication is going to be the best step for everybody involved in this. That sounds amazing. It sounds like you're running a great department. <laughs> We're trying. Yeah. But again, it's never like that all the time. We do have our moments. And again, that's where we have to come yeah. together because we are all we have. We yeah. know we're, we're privatized in Florida, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of people shouting yeah. out, you did a really good job, right. you know, and I think for all of us that have some sort of involvement or familiar with the child welfare system, there's, there's oftentimes a lot of finger pointing at the bad uh-huh. things that are happening. And, yeah. and sometimes we forget about all the good. And we have yeah. to take the small pieces, whatever that may be, you know, finally locating a long-term placement mm-hmm. for a kid, we have to take those wins. And so yeah. helping each other acknowledge that and, and recognize that, you know, hey, we did do something good yeah. today. Yeah, that's amazing. What was your first experience with foster care? How did you learn about foster care? Did you know any foster kids uh, growing up? I actually, and it's so weird because I didn't pay much attention to it. And, you know, not until you get into something do you start to realize maybe some of those signs or mm-hmm. patterns within your your life. So um, in high school, I definitely had um, one friend, and I just, it didn't make sense. She mm-hmm. didn't live. That wasn't her real address. She was staying with, you know, and mm-hmm. never, I didn't put two and two together. And I guess maybe, you know, in hindsight, knowing what I know now, I probably could have asked more questions, but I didn't. And so, um, you know, kind of once we graduated and, like, meeting her large amount of brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is, like, it didn't make uh-huh. sense. So, um, and that really um, was kind of a moment for me in in choosing which direction I was going. So growing oh, wow. up, my mom was a nurse, and that was what I wanted oh, to do. Me too. Oh, I wanted. She was like, "You don't want to do this. <laughs> you don't want to do this." And so, um, you know, I. I've always kind of had a fear of needles and, mm-hmm. you know, being um, her being a nurse and maybe practicing giving her a flu shot here and there on an or Like, I couldn't take it. She's like, you better find a new career. So <laughs> I'm like, what can I do that I'm still going to have an impact? And and so I think you found it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this, so I went into, you know, I decided this was the avenue. Now, did I ever think in a million years I'd end up in child welfare? No. But, um through my different changes. I, I worked with pregnant and parenting teens um, that were actually diverted from their children being removed. That's kind of wow. what got me into it. And that was through um, an agency out of state. So that was wonderful. It, it really gave me 
um, a lot of hope because there are people that want to change. And so I think yeah. I saw that aspect where maybe not having much systematic knowledge or really mm-hmm. knowing, you know, I think as we all think sometimes when people aren't able to maybe care for the kids the way they want to, we think there's a problem with them and what Mm -hmm. are they doing? And it's not always that there's unfortunately some other things that come into play, um, addictions, illnesses Mm -hmm. that are unseen mental health needs that, that we don't really pay much attention to or didn't have a reason to before. So, um, for me, that was really big and kind of getting, um, my feet wet and I'll never forget the first, you know, I, I was in at a home visit and, I, when I started this job, it was not really in a great part of town, but they told me, you know, I walked in and I had on like cute little heels on for the first day and they're like, oh no, 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 Red, you're not, this is not going to work. And so I'm like, what do you mean? I had my first experience with that. Um, in, in experiencing a teen who was pregnant and her daughter and a mother that had a severe drug addiction, um, and the impact that played. So that kind of was a whole new thing for me, but then I moved out of state and, um, here um and so it was a it was a struggle trying to figure out where I wanted to be and then I actually um 12 years ago I started in placement Mm -hmm. so I definitely can speak on behalf of that I know the struggles they experience Mm -hmm. I know how hard it is you do you have to present a child that maybe doesn't have such a great history to a family that I mean the amount of times my my Hands would be shaken. I got the cold sweats. Like, I don't know what's going to happen here. But, um, you know, but that's the biggest thing is just being able to find the strengths of children and really look at a lot of our families. And Mm -hmm. um, there's so many of our families that meet those characteristics of the needs of children we have. And it's, it's so amazing to be able to take strengths of parents and be able to pair that with needs of children Mm -hmm. and and the progress that's seen. I mean, that's the ideal goal. I would imagine that's so fulfilling. It it is. You know, there's days where, um, I mean, I I think we all have that where you just, you kind of, you sigh and you're like, am I really doing good in this world? And so they, there may be one thing that happens or a call or hearing from a foster family that maybe is no longer licensed because mm-hmm. that is what we do in licensing. I mean, I remember when I was kind of more boots on the ground running, going to a home and sitting down for a family meal with them. And that's how we did the relicensure visit and all their kids were around and just, mm-hmm. I mean, you know that you're, it's like you're a part of the family. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the amazing things about our job and licensing too is getting to know these families and the children and like just seeing um you know children thrive not just foster children but even birth children who Mm -hmm. maybe just you know are not used to having um, other kids around them all the time and just um you know social skills that are um, getting better and just communication skills and just from being around other kids and so it's just it's amazing and I mean I could keep going on forever I mean <laughs> my own kids who and I don't have any foster kids they've they have learned things from being around Jack's kids foster kids and adopted kids that I never could have taught them and that's that's such a you know and I and I'll say this to a lot of our families I, earlier on I think it really just adds a, another perspective to your life and and I don't want to say almost mm-hmm. like a well-roundedness but just really being real with the problems in the world or the problems in our own community mm-hmm. and just the the things the trauma the experiences that some kids go through that other kids don't I mean yeah. it's just makes you think yeah. every day that you have what you have and you've, you've kind of grown up the way that you have yeah and you can't transplant that you can't you have to experience it. Yeah, and I I think that, you know, I definitely see a compassion in my kids that um, I know comes from being a foster family. The way that they are compassionate and um, uh, nurturing to the kids that come into my house mm-hmm. blows me away. And every time I see it, I just want to ball. Like today, my four-year-old... Um, my, my, uh, one of my new placements, uh, who is, uh, two was upset about something and seeing how my four-year-old walked over to him and wrapped his arms around Aww. him. And uh, actually, uh, even my 11 year old who, um, you know, is an 11 year old boy sometime in the past day, uh, my 11 year old son actually physically carried my seven year old foster son to me, holding him like a baby and said, uh, 
seven-year-old needs some sugar and no. handed them to me. And the seven-year-old just kind of melted on my lap and kissed my cheek. No. And I hugged That's him. Sweet. And I'm like, did you need some loving? And he's like, yeah. And um, so, you know, seeing the way that they recognize emotions and know that, you know, even though all of my kids in my house have been through trauma, um, you know, all of my children are adopted, and, but they're so focused on other people's trauma and um, the, the way that they love people just always blows me away. And, you know, when, when you're having these times where you're like, oh, you know, maybe we need to stop. Maybe it's affecting my kids negatively. And then you just see what beautiful people they've become mm-hmm. because they were foster brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, and you said something so important right there, too, because we in licensing, yeah, it's about foster parents. That's mm-hmm. our job. It's support, educate, and guide. But I think so many times we forget about the kids that are in the home prior to foster kids coming in and mm-hmm. how are they feeling? How are they doing with all of this? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and cause we do, we tend to think about adults a lot of times, but um, the impact that it can have on you yeah. know your own children and children affected by kids transitioning out of the home without proper transitions that, I mean, we think about what happens to foster kids without proper transitions. We, we have our own kids that are experiencing, you know, the same types of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, I think sometimes they're easily forgotten amongst um, all of the other things that pop up with the system. Yeah. So it's it's really important to make sure that we're always checking in, not just with our adult foster families, but our yeah. children involved with those foster families. And, yeah. and just as you said, I mean, you think about whether it's worth it sometimes and just those little hints of even what you've shared, Jack, has been so um, beneficial. That's another thing is when we talk uh, to people who want to be foster parents, but they're holding off for something, you know, a lot of the things I hear is I'm waiting for my kids to get older, or I'm worried about how it affect my kids. And, you know, I try and encourage them and tell them that, you know, it can affect your kids in such positive it's, ways. Yeah. But, you know. Well, and I'm not, and I know I've told this story, but like I'm not a foster parent, but we have definitely spent a lot of time together. <laughs> and, and I mean, my kids can definitely be extremely self-centered, which is developmentally appropriate. But I know we were here, you know, like 11 when you got a call once for a baby. Mm-hmm. And it was like so heartwarming to see my boys who really don't want to do anything but be on their devices. Yeah. <laughs> like come and they went through your baby stuff yeah. with your 11 year olds and to find all your baby supplies, storage room. Storage room <laughs> we'll over do here. that again next yeah, week, yeah, maybe. Yeah, late, late, yeah. late call for they, that. I know that all too well. And, and I, you know, I think my youngest ended up falling asleep with the girl, the your three pack, the girls. Yeah. And they all like huddled up, and then my boys, like I think they all, the three boys, like got the stuff together. Yeah. I don't see them do that. I like you know, and like. We just do stuff for our kids all the time, which is wonderful. That's how I wanted my life to be. I didn't want my kids to suffer. But the consequence of that is that they don't live a life of doing things for other people. They live a life where they get served a lot. <laughs> so it was really nice. And then we stayed up till like 2 in the morning. And I think the only one who made it was my 11-year-old. But he <laughs> he changed her diaper. He fed her. Um, I don't remember if we bathed her. But, like, it was nice. Yeah. It was really nice to see, like, the empathy and the kindness and uh, they were so excited it's amazing to see what kids have you know bottled up inside of them sometimes and when you know at the right moments those pieces of maybe you've doubted how you've parented your child or whether they've picked up enough and those truly shine through in situations like this it is so true okay so let me ask you a question red can you tell me about the formal education you completed Sure. So I um, have a bachelor's degree. Um, I majored in psychology. I minored in sociology and anthropology with like a focus on race and ethnic relations. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I know. That was interesting. Well, and it's a funny story behind all of that because where I grew up was predominantly, uh, you know, we were a Caucasian community. And so I did live um, abroad for a little while and that was a huge eye opener for me. I'm sure it was. um, To be the minority where most times, you know, we're a majority and, and I, and I hate to say it like that, but it really opened up my eyes to a lot. Um, and that was really one of the reasons why I, I focused solely on the race and ethnic relations and, you know, turns out it paid off. Although I did take French and all through, you know, school and I moved down here and French is not as, as, as common as Spanish was. So, you know, you can't win them all, but keep on going. So you've shared a little bit about your career, but can you give us just like a little breakdown of what you've done? Can you share yes, an overview? Absolutely. So 
So when I got out of school, um, I really, you know, I, I didn't have a desire to go back for a master's because I wasn't sure if that's really what I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, I think we all get out of school sometimes and just sit and go, what is next for me? Uh -huh. um, and so I had that moment and I was a waitress and then I um, was doing some pregnancy and HIV counseling and uh -huh. that was super rewarding. But, um, you know, the struggles of seeing um, women not be able to have children or have children and maybe did not, you know, want to want to. To, you know care for mm -hmm. them full full term um so that that was really a struggle and that kind of um is when I figured I, I wanted to go and help I wanted to help those that wanted to parent their children mm -hmm. and so that's when I got into a case manager for pregnant and parenting teens and then eventually into child protection and then I switched states and came down here and waited for a while to um to figure out um, where I wanted to be but um started in placement and just um through my experience I've been um, doing initials, I've worked in the therapeutic foster care mm -hmm. realm. I have worked um, in a different area. I do also, um, I'm a yoga instructor and teach That's spinning awesome. and rowing. So um, uh, one of my, two of my friends started a not-for-profit organization where we bring our passion and our love for yoga and all the benefits it brings us to um, at-risk youth. Oh, so amazing. we bring um, a curriculum that we've developed into, it's about a 12-week program, so we will go into group homes, we'll go to DJJ facilities. Um, so we just have really, um, you know, awesome. been trying to bring the benefits that um, we experienced from, you know, meditation, from just mm -hmm. the holding space to being yeah. resilient, to um, finding our power in every situation. Yeah. So we're helping bring that to kids Amazing. kind of through all of that and then just um, continuing to be in this field and taking every training opportunity that I can um, to enhance skills and just um, relationship building. I mean, yeah. I feel like so many times it's like, well, could you do the job? Yeah, I could. But it's not even about checking boxes. It's about um, learning about people and interacting and seeing how you can mm -hmm. best support them. So although we like to think, hey, a bachelor's is what it takes to do this, and it does on paper, there's yeah. so much more to it um, than just, you know, a degree. Well, and speaking to that, um, do you think that your formal education prepared you in any ways for you know, your career, or do you think it was really just a means to get into the career? Yeah, I think the the latter of the options. And I mean, I'll tell you, you know, philosophy, I'm not remembering anything I learned <laughs> when I was required to take a philosophy. Statistics, I yeah. mean, yes, that's important, but um, I don't. I mean, and, and I guess it really depends on what kind of learner you are. I know mm -hmm. for me, I am hands-on. So you tell me to read this book and then go do something. I don't know that that's going to be the best way I learn, but um, I would say everything, I would attribute everything that I know. I mean, yes, we go through training, we do that, but I, I would say, I mean, concepts are there, but it's putting those concept, concepts into real life practice and, and being able to relate it to what you're doing now. I mean, and, and this is going to sound like, this is going to sound so silly because this is not, <laughs> but I often think I love Law & Order SVU mm -hmm. because oftentimes it relates to what I do. So for mm -hmm. me, it's like being able to pull something over and relate it to what I'm doing um, for real life is just, um, yeah. But I um, I would say that I, I don't I don't think that I would be here or have the skills or the knowledge that I have from just a four-year degree. Yeah. Again, I mean, if it doesn't involve, you know, 65C45 or Florida statute or Chapter 39, yeah. sometimes I feel like I don't know it. I mean, I certainly, like, I just met you, so I don't know. But, like, I love that you're so personally fulfilled because, yes. you know, I'm sure that it brings um, a lot of fulfillment to the culture of the people that you're working with. You know, it's funny that you say that because we do. There's times where we go through and, and you know, and, and I think being in this and doing it every day and living, although I'm not caring for the kids directly, mm -hmm. you know, we kind of are caring for our parents. We're caring for mm -hmm. those in the system because if I talk to a case manager and I hear them struggle, like, I'm not just going to say, okay, well, you need to do this. Like, <laughs> figure it out, buddy. We're, we're going to support each other. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I could be a case manager. I could be a director. I could be the executive director. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter the level. Like, we only have each other. And, mm -hmm. and we know the retention is not great in this field. So mm -hmm. anything that we can do to keep each other going, I mean... I'm positive now, but maybe a week ago, <laughs> if you caught me a week ago, I probably wouldn't be. But that's what 
we say to our parents, our foster parents, is practicing self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a big talk, a big thing for me. And I mean, um, going through COVID, and I think we all can say mm-hmm. that that definitely tested um, my ability. I'm a very, I'm a people person. I want to be face to face and to not be able to do that and, and to be stuck. I mean, I think for anyone that does work in this field, you know, it's, it's not a 40 hour job. And if mm-hmm. you think it's going to be a 40 hour job, like nah, I, I, <laughs> you might want to find something else because we know that is not what happened. Yeah. So, um, I, I would say that, the self-care piece is is what has allowed me to remain. What is one word you think would uh, people would use to describe licensing? Well, I'm going to tell you the word I hope people would describe licensing with. I think it. I think if I were to just pick one word, it's so hard. But I would think support. Um, that to me is is what it should be. Um, if it's not, please call me because <laughs> um, I, w- I want to know. But. <laughs> Okay, so Red, how do you see the role of licensing in child welfare? Okay, so, um, well, I think I mentioned a little bit about how we are really a support for the foster parents, but, and and I know you mentioned this, Jack, and kind of talking about how you rely on your licensing. I mean, it could be from a placement form that shows you have custody of a child to getting a Medicaid number because you're at the doctor or to getting a social security number. So I guess for licensing, I I, I have to say we wear many different hats because most times you probably get that call from your licensing specialist about taking a child because mm-hmm. we have seen a child that might fit really well in your family. So I would say we encompass a very large piece of the system. I mean, if you have an issue with your board rate check, call us. If you've got, you know, an issue about adoptions, call us. Um, So I feel like we do have the knowledge. Maybe we can't do all of the tasks that everybody can do, but I think we are probably the go-to person. Like if you are a foster parent and we get a call, we will get you to where you need to go. So um, a lot of times we're considered like a mediator. Sometimes there is going to be tension between case management relationships and caregiver relationships. So we will be the um, the buffer, if you will, or yeah. try and be that mediator and pull a meeting together. How do we get everybody back on the same page? How do we bridge the lack of communication that is happening? Um, mm-hmm. And we pride ourselves on doing that. We respond quickly. That is um, one of the things that... Um, we, we do pride ourselves on. That's the one thing that we are here for is when nobody else maybe picks up the phone. Yeah. We do. You know what this reminds me of? Do you ever watch those, like, home shows where they're, like, rebuilding a home or, like, like the home reno shows? Yeah. And they say the house has good bones. <laughs> sounds like yes. licensing is good bones. It is. I like that. I think I'm going to start using that. Cat. <laughs> well, it sounds like your licensing department has Yeah, good bones. we do. We have good bones. It does sound like licensing does have to be like the integrity of the agency though because you touch everything we do you're and that is a really great way to describe it I mean especially when it comes to our foster parents um, we will advocate we will advocate till we are blue in the face mm-hmm. when something does not go the right way so I think it's really important that you have that support and that backup and that advocacy on your behalf because you are out advocating for our children and what they need so the least we can do Mm -hmm. is to kind of have your back on that piece too Mm -hmm. but we are still going to be those people that will tell you that is not correct um, but maybe not in the same way as it comes across maybe from a judge or a case manager Um, I think there's a lot of nurturing involved in um building our relationships. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like my experiences with my licensing specialists, like they've been like part of the family. We do a good job of at least being able to take those heavy times and put a little bit of lightness into them. Mm-hmm. I feel blessed in our role that we get to get that exposure with our families that do so much good in mm-hmm. this community. Um, do you know what the average time that a foster parent normally keeps their doors open for? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this. So um, we have a lot of meetings and really look at a lot of trends within the system. And so um, I can tell you that uh, in you know in the past few years we really have been exploring the you know the length of time. I would say right now um, the average 
would be anywhere between about five to seven years. Um, we are seeing a higher trend, though, of a shorter licensure time. But I, I do have to say that um, I really do believe it's because of COVID um, and just some of the impact having kids with you all the time. Oh, yeah. um, and, and, and whereas we might have been able to maintain some of those families, people have adopted and have moved on from the system. Um, our closure reasons tend to be because of changes in household composition, maybe a job change, maybe a new addition to your family. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you adopted or maybe there's some behavioral things going on with one of your child, you know, moving out of the area, just any type of change within that household Mm -hmm. that maybe does not facilitate a lifestyle for fostering anymore. Mm -hmm. The second highest thing we see is adoption, which is always a great thing um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, while it's wonderful that we are able to locate forever families for children in the system, that means that we also don't have that many beds left either. So, um, but I am ever sad to see someone because you get into this and you know and if you have the ability to expand your family through the foster care system that is amazing and mm-hmm. e- and even if you don't the amount of maybe not gratification immediately but down the road mm-hmm. and and the amount of times they hear our foster families getting um, a message from a kid who maybe the ending didn't go so well uh-huh. or just you know hey I really appreciate that one thing you did for me whereas maybe as a foster family you didn't you didn't yeah. even think it was that big of a deal. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's actually um, encouraging because I didn't – five to seven years is actually a bit longer than I would have thought. You know, it's just lately I've been like, where, where they all Whereas, go? Like, you know what? And, that, and you're exactly right because it, just to see now, I'm not saying that, I, that I'm super old or I've been around for 30-plus <laughs> years, but um, I will tell you, it, it just – Things have changed, and I mean, I think it's very similar to kind of what we've seen in the change in workforce, even within the child welfare system. Um, You know, there's a lot of people that had hung in there for so long and then just kind of were like, you know what, I think it's time. But then you've got a lot of new people coming in and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, exiting pretty quickly, which we kind of sometimes see with our foster families. And, you know, we can prepare somebody as best we can, but when you get into it, it's a whole different experience. So I think the ones that we see for a shorter time maybe struggle more with the gray of the system. A lot of times you want a black or a white answer. And we're never going to have that here. And so Mm -hmm. that's where for some folks it's just it's too much chaos. Do you think that there is a way or there could be a way to predict the longevity of a foster home or of a placement? I do. We've kind of talked about, um, you know, getting into fostering versus maybe going the adoption route. Um, I think through getting to know our families, we know that the word gets out there that people want to adopt and that, you know, they get into the, the foster system to do that. So I think we can see already a little bit of that. And and I'm not saying it's a terrible thing because we do know that it's a very common thing, but mm-hmm. um, that's maybe what our struggle is sometimes is, is balancing that, knowing that reunification is always that first goal. Mm-hmm. So I think we can see through expectations mm-hmm. or wants of families coming into um, the system or why they're coming in as to to what that length of time may look like. You know, because, um, and, it, and it's funny because it sure is the truth that those families that we get in that are like, nope, I just want to foster, I just want to foster, not going to adopt, <laughs> always end up with the kids that have mm-hmm. the opportunity, you know, that maybe the relatives have fallen through, any non-relatives, mm-hmm. and that is the next option would be mm-hmm. to ask the foster families, and they're like, well, now, you know, the kid's a part of my family, of course I'm going to keep them. And I think we know if, and I'll use this term, um, resiliency. Mm-hmm. So, and that goes for not just our children, but for our families. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you bounce back after someone shows up a half an hour late to pick up a child or doesn't show up when they scheduled a home visit? So I think we're always looking at that. And then, of course, whether we as licensing or be like if we're an effective mechanism for that family can we support them can we help them to sustain if you will or give them the resources that is going to help them extend their career in fostering if you will Mm because sometimes when you're done you're done and and no matter what we do it's just you know you need a break and Mm -hmm. you need to take that time away so I think we can in a way 
project what that longevity would be for not just a placement, because I think we know when it comes to placement disruptions or placement stability, there are some signs that you start to see and the small things diminishing pleasure and then kind of things just kind of nothing looks good anymore now and <laughs> the bad outweighs the good and then that straw gets placed on the back and the hump breaks and then we're, we're out looking. So I, I think we really can. Um, but I think that we need to do a better job at listening for those red flags or those words that are going to help us explore a certain area a little bit more, like frustrations with the system. We know. I mean, I think that probably is one of the number one reasons yeah. unsaid that people get out because we, we do track that, but I don't think I've ever had a family tell me that they're just leaving or closing their license because they don't like how the system runs. There is always another piece to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't say the system is pretty and we can do what we can, but... I mean, what I always say is, like, the system's going to be there whether I'm there or not. Yeah. But if I'm there, maybe I can help. And you can. It's like that sand dollar story or the starfish yeah. story where yeah. it's like you can't get them all, but maybe you can do – maybe you can help just one. Yeah. And that's kind of the mindset that we have to take being mm-hmm. here. <laughs> if I could say what would fix this is we wouldn't even need a system. We would <laughs> need to have this because we would have everybody in the community stepping up and not having to wait mm-hmm. till we get to pulling kids from home. So um, – but I would say that communication is huge and, and probably the biggest piece is going to be common courtesy and kindness. I think we forget about that. We're all human. Whether we agree or disagree on uh-huh. something, we should as um, humans and as adults and as professionals be yeah. able to agree to disagree and do what's best for the children. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Yeah. Everybody has value no matter where they are. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, something we definitely don't like to talk about a lot, but um, uh, sometimes foster homes have to be closed, right? Yes. Yep. Um, what is the criteria used when deciding to close a home? So there's a lot of factors um, because we are always weighing good standing. So we have our code which dictates kind of what the rules and regulations are for licensing um it can be extremely difficult to revoke a foster care license because as long as minimum standards are met um you know folks can get licensed but the the situation then comes that it's up to that agency to decide whether they're going to place children or not so um you know we like quality homes um and so what i would say about this is that um when we see patterns when we see trends of things happening um there's going to be a lot of changes in the system too that are going to probably i think help a little bit more in kind of making sure we are staying compliant but when we talk about homes closing for um not voluntary reasons, it would be something that would be um, pretty serious uh, for that to happen. I mean, um, I'm, you know, I, I think we all know there's been, you know, there's been um, crimes committed, you know, um, things that have happened that um, involve criminal aspects that is kind of a, a no-brainer. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, children do get removed from their homes for reasons like that. So we can't have um, folks in the system that um, that are not to a standard that um, would be of quality. So, um, but that being said, we, you know, we have to be fair. We have to have mechanisms for that check and balance and really making sure that our, our own opinions aren't outweighing what is really the truth or what should be happening. I think there's a lot of people that are passionate in the system and sometimes that can, um, that can, blur your lens um, when, you know, we're looking at compliance. So we have a lot of checks and balances. There's a lot of um, quality reviews that occur to really make sure that a decision to not place in a foster home. I think I heard that a long time ago is that you don't take the license away, but you just do not place anymore if, the, yep. if something happens yep. like and that. so that's kind of the way that we look at it because, you know, um, and I'll give an example. Somebody that has maybe a verified abuse report find, doesn't mean that you can't foster 
you could because it meets a minimum standard, but that doesn't mean that uh, you know a child placing agency would place children into that home. So um, you're right; it would take a lot, um, a lot of paperwork, um, pretty serious things to actually revoke a license. So um, most times, you know, if we go to a you know quality assurance staffing or a licensing review or a review because of some sort of pattern or, or questions about the home, then. Um, you know, it's a committee making the decision and there's information gathered and, and, you know, we would say at this point we wouldn't place children, but, um, it would be up to that family to decide if they wanted to relinquish their license or if we would have to move forward in pursuing if we had enough to revoke somebody's license. What realistic solutions do you think that could be implemented to resolve some of the placement struggles if you had unlimited resources? Oh, goodness, kind of goes back to what I said. If we had the ability to have our neighbors step up or, you know, somebody in that child's life that could step up immediately, ideally it would be for that child to be able to go with his friend or his, you know, his aunt or the neighbor or somebody that that he can trust or she Mm -hmm. can trust um, and and be with that person versus having to cross all of that red tape. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and ideally if, if... you know, it, it, the funds could be allocated to help people do that because I know sometimes it is difficult to care for um, other people's children without a little additional support financially. But, I mean, when, when people think about this board payment, I mean, if anyone thinks that they're going to make money, it's it's funny because <laughs> I I love to break it down for everybody. Um, and, and most times, you know, our foster parents are spending way more than what they're getting. I mean, between daycare and diapers, I mean, diapers alone will put you out, um, you know, if you have I, a little... Yes, it was red. I think it's really important for everyone on all sides of the table to learn to like work with each other as well as possible so that we can make it easier for each other and not harder. Um, and also so we can all encourage each other to keep the focus on the kids. What are some basic things that foster parents can do to work better with licensing and make your teams more efficient? Oh, I'm so glad this is a question because <laughs> I will tell you, communicate with us. Um so many times I feel like we have found something out or we've run a DMV check or so, and find something and it's like that is the worst thing to have to call someone and say, hey, how come you didn't tell us? And and so I think a lot of times most people fear that we're going to be upset, that we're going to yell, and it's not that. I mean, I will tell you the biggest thing you can do is communicate to your licensing person because we are going to be those ones to to back you up and to support you. I mean, I think we all know that abuse and neglect happens. Allegations come in, mm-hmm. calls come into the hotline, and, and nine times out of ten, we know that's happening. And and if we don't know that something's happened, we cannot be prepared to protect you and your family. So even if you think it's a small thing, tell us, shoot us an email. What do you want foster parents to know about licensing? We are your support. We have your back. Um, That is all. Please use us. Please call us. If you don't know what you are doing or who to call, call us first because (laughs) I promise you we we will get you to where you need to go or we will get an answer to whatever it is that you need, even if we can't do it ourselves. Um, When I have spoken about you to other people, because I talk about you behind your back all the time. Oh, goodness. Like, the thing I say about you is that you're a problem solver. Like, if, um, and and actually, and not to say that my licensing specialist isn't a problem solver. She's amazing. Um, But uh, when there are things that nobody seems to be able to accomplish, when I have reached out to you in the past, it's like, you just, like, it's all of a sudden the solution is that easy, and it's just done, so... Um, that's, that's pretty nice. Awesome. That's really nice to hear. And thank you because, because we don't often get that. It's kind of like, Hey, you're doing great, but we need this a little bit more. So, um, you know, it's, it's nice to take that, but certainly we, we could not do what we do without, um, you know, without, without our, our wonderful human foster parents. What do you want the partners that you work with to know about licensing and placement? <sighs> Call us. We do have a lot of answers. Um, same thing, you know, when in doubt, you know, ask us. I, we don't just know licensing. We don't just know placement. A lot of us have had so many different 
roles within the system. I mean, heck, some of us have even been foster parents. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, I just, I feel like some people forget that we're here because there's a lot of times people get into court and they're like, well, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Well, can they do this? Well, I don't Call us. <laughs> I mean, I had um, a judge recently reach out to me and I've wow. never had that. And, and she actually emailed me directly and was like, hey, I have a couple questions. And wow. I mean, and I kind of panicked because we don't always have that role of being in front of the judge. And I was like, do I respond with your honor? Like in an email? <laughs> like, is that what I do? I don't know. But I did. And um, it just, it felt good because somebody yeah. was actually, like, sometimes we're kind of like those, um, I don't know, we're kind of in the back scene of everything. And um, but the bones. our role is. Yeah. Um, the bones. Yes. The bones. And maybe we're only seen in an x-ray, but we are <laughs> yeah. seen. Um, but we are, we really are just. We want to do what we can to help those that are that are even directly, you know, caring for our children. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter again if it's you know a birth parent or a foster parent or you know a care a caregiver of any sort. The great thing about all this is so much of like the like disgruntled attitude that I get from people is just people not having any power and not knowing yeah. where to go. And, and I think that's it. And I mean, it's almost like the kids in the system, they don't have any control. They don't have choices. Like, and so one aspect of their life they want to control, they will. Like, maybe they don't eat. Maybe that's the aspect. And exactly. and so there is a piece of that control. And I feel like it happens yes. to us, too, as much as we 100%. don't want to admit yeah, that. We speed yeah. because we have no control. And we're like, you want to make me go under 70? Watch me go 80. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't admit that, but it's true. That's what we do. Yeah. And, and we think about right. kids who do that. And it's like, oh, they're just, no. I mean, yeah. that's just. They have no control. Yeah. They didn't know they were going to wake up in foster care and then be moved or whatever. It's almost that crisis mode all the time. And even for our foster right. families, I mean, that's kind of where we're all at. And mm-hmm. boy, I wish we could all just have a big day off and have nothing happen, like a mental health day for yeah. all of us. But that, I mean, I mean, we are here. We're all here for the same reason. And that's mm-hmm. to make sure kids are safe. Um, you know, they achieve permanency and we strengthen, you know, them as wholes and, that's that's all we can do and together um, we can achieve so much more than individually so red one of the things that most of the people that have worked with you always brag about you for and something that I always brag about you for is that uh, you're very child focused well I feel like this is how we should all be it's not always the case when we work with various partners what is it that keeps you from being jaded burnt out what is it that keeps you from losing hope it's taken me a long time to get here. So I think it's all about perspective. I want to lose focus. I want to yell and scream every single day, but mm-hmm. I think I know that's not going to solve it. I think what I have learned about myself is I may be in that mode, but the minute that somebody comes to me and is feeling the same way or struggling or stressed or can't find it, it's like you go into, and I don't even know, like dark mode. It's almost like <laughs> it's all a blank, you know, like in, I think it was what, was it old school where they had that debate and all of a sudden he's like, and blah, 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 and then it's like, whoa, what happened? Like, that's kind of what it feels like is like, I could be having the worst day, but then I get a phone call and someone needs me and it's like, you just flip the switch and you're there. You're either going to sink or swim. And, and that's the biggest thing. And if you can't get your mind to focus in the right direction, you're, you're not, you know, you're, you're going to have broken your life jacket right off. So the secondary trauma that we all experience in child welfare is very real. And I know sometimes we feel the trauma fatigue pushing into our minds and know it's time for a pedicure or something like that. What do you do to renew your mind when that starts to happen? And what are the symptoms you notice? I I mean, I get there. I get there often. Um, So something as simple as going for a walk Mm -hmm. or going to spend time with my dog because no matter if I'm crying or laughing, like, he's still going to love me. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's like that one thing. He'll always kiss me. I feed him my – give him water. Like, you know, so just – reminding yourself to do something that can get you out of that um it's it's finding that one thing that does make me feel good i'm very big into meditation into yoga Mm -hmm. into um making sure that i take care of my body um physically mentally whatever that looks like so i have found that picking up as i mentioned i you know i do teach yoga i teach spinning and and rowing and so i've actually started to pick up a few more classes although it should be for me and not for other people <laughs> um that's just where i feel like it makes me feel better um i could be having such an awful day and it happens quite often that i get into class and it's like 
we just sweat all of that out and any like mm-hmm. negative stale energy anything that was holding me back from being able to be that person that I am needs to go and so um for me that's mine but I can't say that people maybe it doesn't help to you know nap I mean I'm not gonna say some good food or candy now and then like gummy bears um <laughs> doesn't help um we know that's a temporary fix but it, it's really about having that self-care balance and, and I'm not gonna say that I've always been good but um, I've struggled with it and especially during COVID because you learn that there were no more boundaries like where I work is now where I sleep and where I eat and um, mm-hmm. for me I did and and I think for anyone to sit here and say that they didn't have any effects of that would be lying mm-hmm. um, and and everybody had an impact one way or another you know I know for my parents let's say having to deal with a virtual world was new for them this isn't something that I mean heck I'm lucky I get text messages from my parents you know it's <laughs> right. um so I, I, I will say, I think coming out of this pandemic, the best thing that I could have learned for myself is how to take care of myself um, or realizing when I need it the most. Yeah, I think that's really wise because that can be really hard yeah, to absolutely. identify. I remember the first time that I saw trauma fatigue for myself and um, it was when because, you know, back before courtrooms were virtual, we would yeah. go to the court and we would sit there and, you know, you would get a time for your court hearing for your kids and I would go and, you know, there might be like 10 or 15 cases before your case is called. And um, I would listen to what was going on with the other cases and I would start crying. And I'm like, okay, I know like I'm a pretty sensitive person, but I don't normally cry at court. And it was just like everything that happened to every kid just broke my heart. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, we went and got a pedicure, uh, Kat and I, last week. Well, oh. it was her birthday. So oh, happy, I re- yeah. happy belated birthday, Kat. <laughs> so we, do you remember when we went in, like, I tried to get a Starbucks. The line was like an hour long. I ended up going yeah. to a second Starbucks to get our Starbucks. And then I went to the place that we like to go to get our pedicures. It was a hard day. And it was day. closed for no reason. But really, I was upset about a situation with Guardian ad litems. And, yeah. and when I, when I saw, when I, was texting you that I was getting on my way and I was really, I was like raging in my head about this guardian ad litem situation that I just think is like so frustrating. And, um, uh, you know, we finally get there and I'm like, and you're like, you were, you asked me if I wanted something to eat and I'm like, I can't even eat right now. I just don't feel good. I'm so like stressed out and upset. I walked out of that pedicure, like a totally different person. So I'm so glad, you know, yeah. I think that's not the topic of this podcast, but I think no, that is one, I mean, well, one of the, I mean, valuing each other, I think, yeah. is critical. And I think that one of the impacts of COVID is that we do take care of each other better. Like, one of oh, my yeah. friends today said, you seem stressy. What's wrong? And I was stressy, like... Stressy, I like that. I do, too. <laughs> words like that. I know. And I was like, I don't know how you could tell, because all this was via text. Yeah. But I am stressy. <laughs> and I'll take, care, I'll take care of myself today. Um, I went back to work when my 11-year-old was two months old, and I started writing CBHAs. And... I know that getting beds is so hard Ugh. for kids. It's probably the hardest yeah. thing. And I know you don't really have a lot of control because you gotta, you have to just get what you can. I would go to group homes sometimes to write a CBHA on like, you know, whatever, a grade school child. And I would see a, a newborn or a baby sometimes. And I would just want to go hold the baby, you know, and it would be like a worker like a shift worker or whatever like you know just kind of like bouncing the baby around you know like the baby would be like fussy or whatever and and I would say like can I just like let me just try can I can I just like swaddle the baby and then be like take it you know (laughs) take the baby and I you know and then I would like I would be so like heartbroken like we need more foster parents we need more foster of course not knowing the story maybe they're replaced with siblings who knows like maybe all the siblings were there maybe that was you know who knows but to me, that was always the yardstick for where placement was with with um, beds. Uh-huh. If I always felt like, and I, I could be totally off base, but I always felt like if I saw a baby, things must not be going well. Yeah, that's and and you know you're not far off. That is how we we now have rules about group homes, and there's some laws that are coming into play that will actually be. Um, changing the way that we um, do this group home thing where it's not going to be shift care workers anymore it's it's moving towards more of a foster family model that's um, or or more of a therapeutic a geared um home 
So, so there is a lot changing for the good. Um, I know that the last thing we want is kids in the most restrictive settings, which are those facilities. I mean, and you're right. We don't have enough. Um, a lot of times we think about it like, Hey, where can we, who can we stretch? The long and the short of is, you know, with the increase in care coming in, we've seen such an increase. We don't have enough beds. There are not enough beds to house all mm-hmm. of the children that need a safe, stable home. And, and unfortunately, that's where we see um, kids in group homes or kids bouncing because yeah. we just don't have enough of those foster family homes. So yeah. that would be the goal is to, to increase our bed capacity by as much. I mean, if you've never thought about it, Think about it, you know, and don't wait because you need things to fall in line to do this. Kids don't wait no. for things to fall no. in and line. And things for will them. never fall in line no. the way you like. You can yeah. always like, oh, come up with don't excuses. remove me from my parents until I get through my, you know, my right. birthday in two days right. so I can bring cupcakes into school. No, no. I, you know, un- unfortunately, abuse and neglect doesn't care what day or what wait. time it is right. or what class you are. It affects everybody, and that's always what I share when people talk about how they're thinking about being a foster parent is but would you just like take a newborn you know because there are like babies there are you know who could just use a home there are little guys who could just use a home and I think like okay so not everybody is meant to be a foster parent obviously however so many more people are meant to be foster parents than are Mm -hmm. and we you know we let ourselves off the hook with all these reasons why we're not doing it right now but I, I feel like like if you could just like see it it was like when i when i when i adopted my oldest son we lived in africa for like 2 months completing the process and i came home and i'm like how how do people not know that this is going on over there like that these kids are living in the street and they're walking up to the van like with their hand out like they're starving these kids are living in like i would go and volunteer in orphanages when i was there and like you would walk in and like there's just lines of cribs and these babies are like, I remember there were always like a couple sick babies. And it's like, they they sounded like they were about to die. And there was nobody even in the room with them. And it's just like, life is so different there than it is here. Like, obviously, we have our own um, right. problems here that are different from they are there. It, it was like that. It was like, I wish I could just show people what I saw there. I wish I could just show them the pictures of these, like, babies laying in bed. When I was there, I just wanted to, to like, somehow show people. Like, look at what's going on. Like, yeah. there are these kids that are there that just, like, they just need food. Like, these people don't have food. If there's no vegetables growing in their garden that day, they go down to the city and they try and beg for food. And sometimes they get food for the kids and sometimes they don't. But, like, at most they were eating a meal a day. And, like, we just can't even fat. Like, no. my kids today, after, like, your kids breakfast. Have nine they had a day. Uh, oh peach pancakes. They had peach pancakes. They had like like snack after snack after snack. They had uh, peanut butter and jelly with bananas inside, peaches on the side, um, chips, popcorn, and then they had like two more snacks. And then they had bacon cheeseburgers for dinner with broccoli. If I ate and like Jack's, I'm like, cake, I'd I'm be nine hundred pounds. I'll and be here tomorrow. What then, time does what time does breakfast? They start had now? ice pops, and then they were like, "I'm starving," and it's like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, there's <laughs> like, like you no don't way. Even know. But it's those experiences that like make you shift gears because I would see kids in foster homes all the time and it's not what everybody thinks and people are like how do you do it I'm like it's not every child is not beaten it's not what you think foster parents are supportive but it was those babies and those group homes that would make me like Mm -hmm. pause and say we need more foster parents that that is it I mean I think for everybody it's that one thing that's Mm -hmm. like I mean, and, and I'll tell you, I mean, I still get when I walk through an office and I know that I see that birth parent there with bags, like, ready to see their kid. Like, it's so emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so it hard. Is, it is tough. It's, it's so tough hard. even to sit here and talk about it. I mean, it triggers emotions, and that just means that we're human and that we do mm-hmm. care, and sometimes we care too much. What do you think uh, the community can do to prevent more kids coming into care in our counties? Oh, I feel like that word is going to come up again. Support. Um, check in on each other. What can I do to help you? Do you need a break? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes maybe that it's a generational thing and maybe that family didn't didn't have a good role model and they don't have the supports and mm-hmm. and maybe just you being my neighbor and seeing like oh I'm, I am kind of stressed maybe you just need an hour away or maybe I can just mm-hmm. watch your kiddos for you for or maybe bring you dinner just 
anything that we can do to support each other, I think is gonna is gonna have such a big impact. I mean, I look at us um, as an agency when it comes to Christmas, and it was scary this year with COVID because we do have a lot of events. We have a lot of things that raise money um, for children for Christmas, and it's scary to think that we're not gonna have that. But the amount, like, and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this, but the amount the community stepped up. Um, and, and filled those voids was unbelievable. And so I think that if we could all just focus on how to support each other and, and forget about what makes us different as humans, whether that be, you know, a race and ethnicity, I think if we could all just get past that and and just remember that kindness is first and foremost, you know, how to, how to support each other and, yeah. and something so small, I feel like if everyone could just step up and do one thing, that we yeah. could see such a big difference. So what are your goals to make change in our community? I am going to keep waking up every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to show up and I'm going to hold space. And I am going to continue to do the best that I can to help somebody get past a situation that may not be ideal. That's me. Um, I'm going to continue to support my staff we're all doing this work. I'm just going to keep on trying to stay positive and reminding myself of who I am and what I'm here for because I think that's hard to keep that um, focus when you get so many um, discouraging things happen. So for me, that's that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and maybe I can impact one other person to do the same. Well, and I think between, you know, what you do um, with licensing and, and also – um, the impact that you've had going into group homes and doing your programs, like, I think that's pretty profound. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun. This is really fun. So grateful that you drove all the way over here in the rain and uh, just really appreciate um, all of the things that you've shared with us and, you know. Of course, and thank you to both of you for for doing what you're doing and bringing awareness and and just I think this is one of the first steps in really trying to to develop a system where we don't we don't not have beds for children. So yeah. um, they always say it's that rule of three three hearing something, then hearing it again, and then hearing it again. So if this is something small or big. Um, whatever that may be. I mean, I'm just so thankful for the both of you and thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.